Hello and welcome to the Bicom podcast. I'm Richard Pater, the director of Bicom. Today's podcast is a special episode recording of a live webinar that Bicom hosted with the legendary veteran Israeli journalist Ehud Ya'ari on Monday, April the 3rd. Enjoy. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Richard Pater, the director of Bicom. Alongside me is my colleague, Kira Lewis, who will be assisting us in the second part of this session. If you have any questions, please put them in the Q&A box or in the chat below, and we will try to get to as many of your questions as possible. Today, our esteemed guest is Ahud Ya'ari, one of the most recognized and experienced commentators on Israeli news media. He's one of Israel's leading experts in Arab affairs. And today we're gonna to have a wide ranging conversation about regional issues and close issues, closer to home at least from the Israeli perspective. Ehud um, Ari, thank you very much indeed for joining us once again. My pleasure. So perhaps we can start with one of the most uh, significant developments we've seen in the region over the last month, the rapprochement between Iran and Saudi Arabia. Would you say this is a strategic shift or a tactical pivot? And why is it happening now? I think, uh, Richard, thank you for having me, that uh, what we are seeing now all around the Middle East as the region or more accurately, much of the Arab world is in a meltdown on uh, the worst of, on the verge of bankruptcies. Think about Egypt. Uh, people are uh, in a hurry now to reconfigure their international uh, relationship and move towards de-escalation. So you have uh, the Saudis, uh, uh, resuming diplomatic uh, relations with Iran, which doesn't mean at all that they are going to be good friends or let alone uh, allies, but they are going to try and see whether it can lead to the to putting an end into the war in Yemen, in which something in which uh, Saudi Arabia is extremely interested. Uh, the Chinese uh, were there, although, although the negotiations between the Saudis and the Iranians took place for two years already. Uh, with Omani and Iraqi uh, mediation. Um, so it's a change in the format of relationship, in the language used by the media in both countries, but it's not leading to something bigger. The same is uh, the rapprochement between Turkey, uh, Egypt, uh, Israel, about the rapprochement between uh, quite a few Arab states and uh, President Assad uh, uh, of Syria, we, have, we are seeing all over the place attempts to de-escalate, um, to create some sort of a more uh, decent type of relationship, but the basic competition, the basic animosity is very much there. And one way to, uh, uh, get a good uh, guide on that is just watching how the Saudis are keen on developing their nuclear industry with their mind probably on something else as well. Do you want to, do you want to speculate further on kind of the, uh, the, the, uh, the Saudi agenda on that? I think that the uh, MBS, the Saudi Crown Prince, have realized that the war uh, in Yemen is costing uh, the kingdom too much. 
It has exposed Saudi Arabia to uh, rocket attacks, uh, cruise missiles, uh, rockets from the Houthis in Yemen and other places, including the huge attack to which the US did not respond and the biggest oil installation in, in the world in Upcake. Uh, he cannot uh, uh, win the war for Yemen. He realizes that. And therefore he's starting to cut it, uh, trying to cut his losses. Believing that this type of rapprochement with uh, the Iranians will uh, lead the Iranians to exercise some influence on the Houthis in Yemen in order to put an end to, to, to the war. It's not going to happen very soon. It's not easy. And the Houthis, in spite of the fact that they are being assisted uh, significantly by the uh, uh, Iranians, by the uh, Revolutionary Guards, they have their own agenda and they certainly do not see themselves as uh, proxies. Um, I think the Saudis understand that the Iranians, um, that is, I'll put it differently, less modestly. I think I know that the Sa Saudis feel that the Iranians are moving to war closer to the nuclear red line, but they will not cross the red line towards assembling a bomb beyond enrichment. Uh, and one of, one of the reasons being that they realize that both MBS himself, the Turks and the Egyptians are saying, if you will have a bomb in Tehran, we will, we will have bombs too. And so the more Saudi Arabia signals that they are interested in nuclear options, the more, the more they seek help, for example, in uh, mining uranium in their territory and building nuclear uh, power plants, etc. The stronger the signal they are sending to Tehran, you have to take it ser seriously. Uh, so I believe this is this is the game being played uh, now. The Iranians have their own uh, interest in uh, a make-believe rapprochement with uh, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. That's because of their domestic situation. And if we can focus on uh, on the Israel um, response or kind of how 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 they're reacting to this, what do you think the uh, the Israeli angle is in, is in this uh, with regards to the Saudi Iranian rapprochement? I think the the this current Israeli government, very untypically, uh, was quite uh, tight-lipped on that. Usually, we have a foreign minister who is talking too much at the wrong places these days, causing now a problem with, with a good friend of ours, Azerbaijan, uh, uh, etc. So in this respect, Israel was quiet. I think it's, uh, uh, it was helpful. But the, the main point, Richard, is that Israel now, under the current uh, circumstances at home, with a government which is not really functioning, Nobody should tell you any other stories. Um, Israel has, uh, is facing now, as we speak, an Iranian uh, effort 
combined with uh, Hezbollah in Syria to uh, inflame, inflame the West Bank by providing them with uh, weapons, explosive uh, charges that they didn't have in the past, um, sending uh, suicide drones in that direction, trying to get uh, flames in the West Bank, especially now uh, during uh, Ramadan. So this effort is new. Uh, in the past, Hezbollah and the Iranians were very careful not to send explosive uh, charges. Claymore had very lethal, heavy uh, explosive uh, uh, charges, charge uh, into Israel through the border fence. This time it was destined to get to the uh, city of Jenin in the Northern uh, West Bank in order to ambush and trap. Uh, one of the Israeli, of the IDF uh, uh, units going into the into Janine uh, uh, after people on the wanted list, terrorists who are uh, uh, planning uh, uh, an attack. Fortunately, this explosive charge by mistake um, exploded in Megiddo, which is less than 10 kilometers on the Israeli side, but less than 10 kilometers from uh, Jenin, uh, but it was an indication. We have other indications as well. And this is why you saw over the past four days, ne never happened before, three major attacks of the Israeli Air Force, Air Force and Hezbollah IRGC bases in uh, Syria, quite close to the Lebanese border uh, bases uh, uh, like the airbase uh, Daba, uh, the airbase of uh, Shairat, uh, where there are big depots of ammunition, rocket, uh, drones, etc., um, provided by the Iranians uh, to Hezbollah. So, if I'm summing this, we are in a new phase of the confrontation with Iran and Hezbollah, because now for the first time. They are trying to involve themselves directly in whatever is going on in the West Bank and the Palestinian arena. I mean, just I mean, there's there's lots to unpack there, but uh, perhaps just to follow up on your last point. I mean, what does the the Iranian engagement, the the increased involvement in the Palestinian sector look like? You mentioned the uh, the the explosion in in Megiddo, but how else are the Iranians kind of, I suppose? copying their their modus operandi of, of of deploying proxies how is that how are they practically able to do that in the west bank they have long-standing relationship and arrangements with palestinian uh, factions for example uh, hamas has for more than a decade uh, a memorandum of understanding with hezbollah uh, regulating their military uh, cooperation of course, the Palestinian Islamic Jihad, the PIJ, is a proxy uh, of Iran, etc., cetera, uh, etc. Cetera. What they are trying uh, to do now is, I'll give you an example, which may be um, easy. Uh, the Iranians and Mr. Assad are involved in huge, gigantic uh, uh, effort uh, 
to smuggle uh, captagon drugs into the Persian Gulf and beyond. This is in an, a magnitude we have never seen before, even in the Middle East. And this is how, by the way, the Assad regime survives to an extent. Now with the captagon, with the, the deliveries of, of drugs, which caused a lot of concern to King Abdullah of Jordan, with the drugs, as always, come weapons. And the Iranians are trying under the cover of the uh, uh, drug smuggling to get weapons into Jordan, into the East Bank. And from there, we have foiled already quite a few attempts to smuggle this type of new weapons, different type of weapons into the West Bank. That's one way. Um, the other is trying to send the Claymore type uh, explosive charge into the West Bank. I'm afraid it's not the last attempt. Uh, and uh, they are, the, the Iranians, I mean, the, the Quds Force, the IRGC and Hezbollah, they accept the Hamas policy that let's keep it sort of quiet on the Gaza Strip. Let's concentrate on setting fire to the West Bank. That's shared amongst all of them. If we can go back as well, you, met, you mentioned kind of the increased uh, activity of the Israeli Air Force over the skies of Syria just over the last few days. If we take a step back, I mean, we've seen the, what's been called here, the campaigns between the wars, this ongoing is, Israeli campaign for eight years now to, to, uh, to, to combat Iranian entrenchment inside Syria. How would, you, how would you assess overall, kind of from where the Iranian objective started to where they are now in terms of the Iranian influence and the, uh, the military um, infrastructure that they've been able to, to establish there? I'll put it uh, bluntly. I think it's very difficult to measure, but I think if we take the original plan of the late General Qasem Slimani, the legendary uh, commander of the Quds Force, what he wanted to have in Syria was a full-fledged uh, war machine with everything. Uh, air defense uh, uh, systems, long range ballistic missiles, everything. He wanted to have it in Syria as an Iranian military presence independent of the Syrian army. So if I take this as a way to measure, I would say Israel was uh, has succeeded in foiling 75 to 80% of what the Iranians had in mind, which is a lot, it's remarkable. It tells you something about the intelligence capabilities of the IDF and other agencies, but it still means that the Iranians managed to creep in and build military presence, not the way they originally planned it, but they are there. They are not letting go. For example, lately they use the convoys of uh, humanitarian support to the victims of the earthquake in North uh, Western Syria in order to try and smuggle missiles and kits for upgrading missiles, uh, etc. So if you take a look now at Syria, well, it's not what the Iranians had in mind, 
but it's still something which is not uh, making me feel very comfortable. And you mentioned before about the kind of the status of the Iran's nuclear program. Um, we saw reported a few weeks ago, 84% just shy of the 90% uh, threshold. Um, but you, you mentioned that you think that they, they, may, they may stop at that stage and not go for full weaponization. Just if you can expand kind of where you see the Iranian, uh, the Iranian thinking on this and just how far away they are if they wanted to go for, for weaponization and the first point. Again, if you forgive me, I'll be blunt. We don't know any other country that tried for 30 years to get a, a nuclear bomb, certainly not a country with the uh, abilities and the scientific community of Iran, 30 years and they don't have the bomb. South Africa had the bomb and Pakistan had the bomb and India had the bomb, etc. You have to ask yourself, how come the Iranians with really great physicists and scientists, how come they didn't make it? Israel allegedly made it in few years. The answer that I have to offer, no guarantee, is that the Iranians understand the price of crossing the nuclear threshold. And there is a difference between enrichment and being able to assemble a bomb uh, on a tip of a uh, Shihab missile. They are not there. And I do not think that's my position for many years. So far, I was not proven wrong. Maybe in the future. But I do not see the Iranians rushing towards the bomb for the reason I uh, mentioned before. They don't want to be some of the Arab states um, following in their footsteps. But it's so you're 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 convinced that it's a decision by the Iranian leadership, not a, not about uh, crossing a technological Rubicon in terms of the the weaponization process. I'll put it differently, if I may. I think the decision to cross the nuclear the red line has not been taken. It doesn't mean it won't be taken under appropriate circumstances as they see uh, the situation. At the, for the time being, no. Um, they have touch, touched. They didn't start enriching uh, 84%. 84%, by the way, is the Hiroshima bomb. That's enough. But they touched it. They are not enriching uh, systematically uh, to that level. They can. And that's because the Iranians uh, want to reassure everybody in the region. We are not uh, in a hurry. If I may, one more sentence, because this is something that I believe is of major importance in understanding the Middle East, as I call it. The Iranians have taken long ago a decision. The decision is the priority is the Levant, not the Persian Gulf. The assumption being this is pure Qasem Slimani. The assumption being, if they will take control this way, that way, over the Levant, Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, in the future, they are thinking a lot about Jordan, etc. Then the Gulf becomes 
an easier target. So you see the, the Iranian effort and funding uh, is invested in the Levant. Uh, and the Gulf can wait. So let's have an ambassador in Saudi Arabia. Let's have a Saudi ambassador in Tehran. We will decide when to attack his embassy again. In terms of uh, the Gulf, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, it, it takes my takes my mind to Israel's alliances under the framework of the Abraham Accords. Just amongst this kind of the the flux that you've described of kind of the the repositioning of uh, of Iran and also Syria, where does that take Israel with regards to the potential expansion of the Accords? Um, unfortunately, we have now a government that is not focused on this at all. In some cases, it made moves which were uh, uh, damaging. I'll give you an example. When this illustrious foreign minister of ours, I mean, nobody understood why he was appointed by Bibi as foreign minister. But he's the prime minister, I'm not. When he said, we have secret uh, uh, conversations with Indonesia, the biggest Muslim country. And I'm for years dealing very closely with the Indonesians and the Indonesian leadership. What was the response? The response was that in spite of the decision of President Jokowi, supported by the majority of the political elites in Jakarta to allow the Israeli under 20 soccer team to play in the Mondialito uh, in, in uh, Bali, the island of Bali. Uh, 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 Muslim organizations and the daughter of uh, uh, late President Sukarno, she is a very formidable a figure in uh, Indonesia decided to take to the streets and the Israelis are not going to play in Indonesia. The tournament is not going to take place in Indonesia. Who needed it? Um, there, are, there are possibilities to expand on the Abraham Accords. Um, in two directions at present. One is the Red Sea Basin. We had um, contacts with uh, Somali. They have a new, uh, a new president, uh, Mahmoud, who already met with Bibi in the past when he was president. Somaliland, although not recognized by uh, uh, the international uh, community, but it's independent for 30 years. And it's more of a democracy than anybody else I know in Africa. Somaliland is interested. We don't need embassies. We can have trade offices. We have to fix our relations with uh, this hermit, uh, uh, state of uh, Eritrea because they have 800 kilometers of coastline uh, under Red Sea. And we need 
and of course Djibouti. Uh, and we need the, uh, to, to expand our relations with the countries of the Sahel beyond Chad. Chad is a friend, has been friend for many years. We have Sudan. I hope we don't lose it because of all the internal strife going on in, in Khartoum. But we need Niger now. Uh, we need Mauritania. Mali and Burkina Faso are too a bit complicated now because they had coup d'etats and the Wagner, the Russians are there. So it's a problem. The idea being that we will be able to fly direct Tel Aviv, Sao Paulo, Tel Aviv, Buenos Aires, just like we are going soon to fly direct over Saudi Arabia and Oman to Melbourne, to Manila, uh, to Tokyo, uh, etc. That opens up uh, uh, Israel. But you need a government which works on it, which, which invests effort and attention to what should be done, because every deal like this is complex, is complicated. It usually involves the United States. When you don't have a honeymoon between the Israeli prime minister and the White House, it's difficult to enlist US involvement and attention in order to get it. Thank you. If I can take us just to the uh, to the Palestinian uh, arena now, we saw over the last few weeks um, quite an interesting, perhaps for the first time, gathering under the US auspices with in the inclusion of Jordan and Egypt, Israel and the Palestinian Authority, first in Aqaba and then in Sham. This idea of kind of create, re rebuilding the, uh, the, the dialogue and the coordination between Israel and the Palestinian Authority security forces. I'd love to hear your assessment on whether they still have a shared agenda, I suppose, particularly in light of the attack on Saturday night that was carried out by an officer from the Palestinian Authority security forces. Very often the uh, terrorist attacks are carried by members or part-time members, officers uh, uh, of the Palestinian security organizations. Just bear in mind, they have more officers, brigadiers, generals and colonels than they have uh, privates. Uh, and many of them are half time. So the body, this, uh, uh, this gathering of five to discuss the situ situation on the ground is helpful. Uh, it allows for a dialogue, which otherwise is a bit more uh, 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 sensitive. It doesn't produce um, major results for two reasons. One is the, uh, for three reasons. One is the Palestinian Authority have lost control over good parts of, let's say, the Northern West Bank, Nablus, Jenin, uh, etc. Their security organizations do not venture into the old city of Nablus, into refugee camps, into many villages. And if they are given the order to do it, they will not obey. Number two, we have the phenomena of what we call Generation Z. That's young Palestinians under 25 who don't remember the failure of the second Intifada, Arafat's 2000. Uh, they are not members of any underground. They are not on social media. So it's very difficult for Israeli security to monitor 
and carry out surveillance of them, like we did, let's say, uh, 2015, when we had the stabbings and, and car rammings, uh, and they are acting individually. Very difficult to, uh, to foil. And this is why since the beginning of the year, we've had, I think 20 Israelis killed in terrorist attacks, 90 Palestinians, mostly armed uh, people. But the third uh, cause for the rise in tensions is uh, the uh, current composition of the Israeli government. There's no question about it. And now we have Ramadan and we had uh, last Friday, we had 250,000 Muslims praying in Al-Aqsa. Uh, it takes a very, very tiny provocation by Mr. Benvir or Mr. Smotrich and you will see the flames. And now I'm worried because there is talk amongst radical right-wing groups that want to re-establish re the, the temple. Uh, they are talking about uh, slaughtering a goat on, on, on Temple Mount. That would be a call for arms. Uh, let alone all the uh, pronouncement of Mr. Smotrich, the treasury minister, who's supposedly in charge also of the civil administration in the West Bank, the defense ministry, although he doesn't have an officer. Uh, it's all very, very precarious. If I, can I say something positive for a change? Please do, sure. Yeah. I think there is one way to go, but that's for a long time. I think we need, Israel need. I don't know whether the current government can do it, next government can do it. And it will not take too long. Uh, Israel has to say to the donor states, United States, European Union, Norway, Japan, etc. We are willing to commit to A, B, C, D, E. We can go into the list provided uh, Mr. Abbas finally appoints a can-do government, not a government like he has now, which is busy in, you know, um, waging lawfare against Israel and diplomatic uh, demarches, etc. A government which wants to build institution, social services, economy, etc. Uh, and we have the precedent, I'm not going into it, in which the donor states come to Mr. Abbas and say to him, you want to keep the money going, coming into your pockets? Fine, St have a government which wants to work, not to deliver speeches. And I think if the course of the Palestinian Authority is changed in time, we may be able to prevent, prevent its slow collapse and give people in the West Bank a, a different a sense about where they are heading and, and how is it going. Because otherwise, despair will rule.
Thank you. I've just got one one final question, then we'll open it up to uh, to the to the audience who've been very patient. Um, just I, I wanted to get your take on the uh, on the latest process within the domestic Israeli politics. The uh, it's been frozen for now, at least the proposed reforms, and we see this uh, this uh, compromise uh, committees meeting under the auspices of the president. Um, do you give that process any hope? Um, where do you think this is going in terms of the domestic dynamics? Yeah, um, I put it like this. Number one, from day one, I was confident that the judicial reform, as they call it, it's a matter of what words they choose, it's not reform, uh, has no chance of passing and it won't pass. It won't pass whatever they say. There is no way it will pass. Number two, Bibi managed to shoot him, himself in both legs and he's now limping towards a compromise. But Bibi is not Bibi anymore. He is somebody else. And he has allies who are constraining his room of maneuver, etc. That was not the case before. Uh, what he's trying to do now is stay above water, but he can't swim. Having said that, I think he made a serious, you know, I know him well for many years. And on more than an occasion, I went to, I came to his defense on, on, on air, on television. No more. He made a, a series of mistakes, which is inexplicable, including firing. He didn't fire him, but just declared that he's firing Defense Minister Gallant. And he will not fire him. Uh, there is a, fair chance that they can work out a compromise. Basically, the outline for a compromise is already there, developed by different uh, professors of law and President Herzog, who is the, the responsible adult in this uh, 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 show. Uh, there is a possibility of reaching a compromise. The question is whether politically the opposition will, will be smart, will be responsible enough to go for it. And here we have a question mark about Mr. Lapid. Is he going for a compromise or is seeking something beyond compromise? And the other question is whether uh, the prime minister is able to get his allies uh, to uh, back a compromise. I can tell you the Haredis will go for a compromise, both uh, parties of the Haredis. At least half the, the parliamentary faction of the Likud wants compromise, if not more. But the government depends on Mr. Benvir and Mr. Smotrich. I hope we can do that. We, 
you, you see some early signs. I'll give you an example. They try to, that's for Bibi's personal uh, benefit. They try to pass the uh, gifts law, which will allow politicians to get huge sums of money for medical and legal expenses. That's kosherizing bribery. They had to withdraw it. And you will have other of these extreme mishigalos that at the beginning they saw they can uh, move through the Knesset, that you will see them dissipate uh, or withdrawn. A lot depends now on the skill of Herzog, who is a lawyer by uh, training, uh, and on the goodwill of both delegations. I think I'll give you an example. If um, a guy like uh, Gidon Saar, ex-justice minister from the opposition, and uh, Ron Dermer is now a minister, Bibi's closest uh, associate, ex-ambassador to the US, and the president sit together, if it's the three of them, I think you have a deal. I'm not sure they will be allowed to stay alone in the room. Fantastic, thank you for that. Let me hand over to my colleague, uh, Kira, who will uh, who is fielding the questions and will uh, read out the questions that we've received so far. That's great, thank you so much, Ahud. That was very, very interesting. Uh, to anyone who's also wanting to ask a question, if you use the Q&A function at the bottom of the screen, uh, there should be an option there to submit uh, one that we can read out. So there's been a few that have been uh, asked. So the first one that I'd like to ask is about new and emerging groups in the West Bank decreasing the influence of the PA. Uh, how's a way of stopping this? Difficult. It's difficult because the PA is so weakened. Uh, it's perceived by the majority, the great majority of the Palestinian popula population as thoroughly corrupt and ineffective. Um, and there you have these groups, I call them Generation Z, especially in the slums and the refugee camps who get organized in small gangs producing uh, acts of, te of terrorism. We have a way to deal with many of them. And that is, and we have tried it in the past few months. You come to these guys, but you need the uh, PA officers to act as uh, go-between. We come to these guys and we say, if you turn in your, your weapon and you agree to go for six months uh, uh, custody, at some installation of the PA in Jericho, we will take your name off the, the list of wanted terrorists and you will not be pursued. It worked with many, not with everybody. And one of the reasons is that the PA is so fragile now that they are even hesitant to go talk, talk to them. Uh, so you are left with this situation in which we have to send um, uh, units every night to get 
those who are on the wanted list and are considered to be ticking bomb. And then you have skirmishes. Today, two uh, uh, locals were killed in uh, Nablus during exchange of fire when they when the army came to take two, uh, two killers, by the way, two people who shot at the family in Huara, the same place we mentioned before. And it's like a magic cycle, a vicious cycle that you have to stop. To stop it is only by, at the end, is just by changing the course of the PA. Thank you. Uh, the next question uh, is, you said that the PA has lost control over the Northern West Bank. Could that be deliberate on their behalf? No, uh, it's not deliberate. Uh, they lost control because the, their security services, let's say 35,000 strong on paper, as I said before, more senior officers than privates, no, no security organization can operate uh, like this. Uh, they have grown older over the years. Uh, the US generals in charge of the training and guiding this force are not allowed to go into the West Bank. So they need other people, other people from other countries to do that. And it's not uh, uh, really working. Um, the Americans have now proposed something which I think is sensible to uh, enlist 5,000 young Palestinians to select 5,000 people. Basically, if we want to be frank, it will be from, fam from families known to be pro-Fatah, train them in Jordan, get them back to the West Bank as a more efficient, uh, dedicated force. We are not yet there. Uh, the next question from Martin is just, is the two-state vision dead? We shouldn't let it die. Even though now it's, you can't see uh, the possibility of uh, going ahead with two-state uh, negotiations in the near future. I think it's extremely important that we keep carrying that flag and we do not let lead, uh, uh, allow Bengvir and Smotrich, I will repeat their names because I see them as a menace to Israeli democracy. We do not let them bury the concept of the two-state solution. Keeping the, the, the objective of two states uh, solution uh, alive and kicking is extremely important. As I said before, it should be supported by a change in the Palestinian Authority, which would be based, at least partially, also on Israeli concessions. We will not build more settlements, we will not uh, do this, we will not do this, and we will give you more money, for example. There, is, there are formulas to do that. The next question is, I'm Iranian and Jewish living in London. We have no way to know how the Iranian revolt recently is having an effect to remove the, to remove the regime. European and American governments seem to be staying silent. Do you know why they are so quiet about uh, what's happening in Iran from Hori? I think because of what do you do 
if you decide to support the protest in Iran. So what do you do? It, it boils down to the question, you're sending arms, um, uh, you, you uh, uh, rearrange the, sanction, the sanctions regime. I don't know. I think that the, most probably the gentleman who asked the question is not with me on this, but I think that the fact that the minorities in Iran, we, we have to remember in Iran, Persians are only what 52, 55% of the population. The rest are non-Persians. Azeri Turks, Bakhtiaris, Kurds, Baluchis, Arabs in the South, etc., etc. To me, and I think to many other observers abroad, the fact that the protest did not was not expanded to the minorities, and we're speaking many, many millions of people. Uh, prevented uh, West, the West from thinking about ways to help it and eventually led, as we see now, to the protests basically, I'm watching it daily, basically dying out. There are other forms of resistance to the regime. It's not over, but not on the street. And this is why uh, the Supreme Leader feels that it's the right time to tighten the regulations about the shadow, about the uh, headgear. But the minorities, had the Azeris in the Northwest, the Kurds south from them, uh, the Arabs in Khuzestan, the Baluchis in the uh, Southeast uh, rebelled uh, in force, I believe the whole picture would have been different. Great, so we'll have one or two more questions. Oh, we've had so many coming in, so that's been really great. Thank you, everyone. Uh, but the next one from Robin is, does the PA education curriculum, with its incitement to hatred of Jews, put peace beyond reach having indoctrinated generations of young Palestinians? The answer is yes. The answer is yes, and it's not just the curricula in schools which they have in some ways amended at the end of the day, it's what the teachers say in class and what the, the prayer leader is saying in the mosque and what is written in the newspapers and more importantly on social media. And what are the statements of the top, top people of the Fatah leadership and the, the PA? The, the, it's the message is very clear and uh, younger people uh, on the street in East Jerusalem in Hebron wherever they get the, the message I'll give you a small anecdote yesterday I had to take my wife's car for to the garage owned by an East Jerusalem uh, fellow very nice very professional and I saw his 13 years old uh, kid there. And I speak Arabic. Uh, I said to the guy, why, why do you hang around your father in the garage? It's Ramadan, it's holiday. And he said, my parents don't allow me to hang 
with the other kids because then they are going to throw stones. Yesterday in Jerusalem, German colony. Um, one last question from Brian is, do you see any prospect of the demonstrators and Israeli Arabs developing a common cause? So far, uh, the Arabs tended, the Israeli Arabs, tended to view this as a internal Jewish conflict. And to be honest, the leaders of the protest were not politicians. Politicians don't have control, real control over their protests. They didn't want the Arabs at this point with Palestinian flags or this or that. They wanted to keep it to uh, Jews, Israelis, who are interested in the democratic, in preserving the democratic system are demonstrating. I believe that if there will be another attempt by the coalition to move some of these laws, we will see some of the Arab parties, especially the unified Islamic, uh, Islamic list, I, will, I, I expect to see them on the, on the streets. That's possible. Uh, it won't be bad. Okay, I think we've run out of time, but uh, it just leads me to say, Ehud, thank you so much indeed for your, for your patience with all our questions and for your fantastic insight as ever. It's much uh, appreciated. For some of us that get to listen to you regularly in Hebrew, it's a double honor to be able to uh, facilitate this conversation and to expose your analysis in English as well. So uh, really great to see you again. And thank you very much. And Kira, thank you very much indeed for your help as well. And thank you everyone for joining us and for those celebrating, wishing everyone a, a great Pesach and Ramadan and Easter as well. Thank you all. Yes. Thank Bye. you so much. Thank you.